You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. your host Adam Sane and this is your co-host Luke Reed. Alright Luke, what you been doing man? Well I went to the Wild Beaver and had a few drinks with Candy and Paige and watched a, I rode a mechanical bull and, and watched a drunk girl get flung into a table and knock the whole table and everyone sitting man, at the table down. You really love, you really live the life man. It's fun. Watching old women uh, get thrown <laughs> off mechanical bulls. Uh, uh, young drunk women. Young, oh, uh, off wasn't there an old woman you were telling me about, like a yeah. Cajun woman she, or something? She was at the no, it was just an old regular old lady. She's at the nail and tried to lean on a table and missed it, and she knocked herself unconscious on the table. Man, <laughs> you really seen some awesome displays of humanity lately. Let me tell you. Yeah, I enjoy it. That's what I live for. So uh, I understand that you uh, you have. Uh, You've delved into the uh, area of uh, horrible rap music. Yeah. Without getting too, uh, you know, obscene about the title, you can kind of describe the wonderful uh, music that's out there for uh, young teens today. Well, uh, I used to be a victim of hip hop myself <laughs> when I, when I was younger, and uh, of course I still listen to like some underground hip hop and stuff to skate to, and sure, you know, but uh, you know. Those those lyrics actually have some substance to it, and uh, I was talking to a younger kid at the skate park, and he tells me about this guy named uh, Chief Keef, and I go look him up, and it uh, rhymes, <laughs> it, it rhymes, yes, and it, this whole like slow talk rap thing is taken off, and the lyrics are just really stupid. 
I mean, it's, there's no substance to it whatsoever. Did you describe it as uh, Sesame Street with a, with a beat? Sesame Street with a beat behind it. Yeah, and no. and uh, profane profane lyrics. <laughs> Only well, difference. It's like hooked on phonics with a beat behind it. Turn into uh, more serious things. What uh, what did you think about uh, our guest last time, uh, Andrew Hoffman? Uh, I'm trying. Hold on, I'm remembering what he talked about. It's been a long time, man. Only like two weeks ago. Uh, That's a long time for me. Lots (laughs) happened since then, dude. That's because you ate that five dollar pizza today. (laughs) Oh, what did he talk about? Oh man. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) well, we talked about uh, we talked about like current events. Talked about propaganda. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah 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 yeah. I like that guy, man. He was cool. Yeah, he had some pretty good things to say, and we're pretty much on the same page about all that. Yeah, he's got a lot of good points. Um, tonight we're gonna have uh, on Adam Go Rightly. He's the uh, author of uh, many different books. Uh, his latest book is uh, Happy Trails to High Weirdness, and uh, another book that I've read by him, The Beast of Adam Go Rightly. And uh, he talks about uh, a lot of strange uh, material. He calls himself a crackpot historian. And uh, he talks about, uh, writes about Charles Manson, uh, uh, about uh, several other weird, just uh, conspiracy theory things, UFOs. Um, also, another one that uh, uh, he wrote was one that I uh, found very interesting was one that he had uh, done about the true story behind Altered States, which was uh, where these guys were injecting uh, ketamine and uh, doing uh, deprivation chamber experiments. And uh thought that was uh, really interesting that that was an actual, that's actually based on a true story. I'd have seen that movie so many times, but I never actually had ever known that. In the movie, he was he was taking uh, Mexican, like, shroom soup. Yeah. <laughs> and then in the, his story, he's talking about uh, ketamine. Yeah, they were injecting ketamine. But what was interesting was that they said that they had like were having dreams of, or, or hallucinations where they were, uh, act, walking around thinking that they were uh, proto-human so that's where the whole basis for uh, Alter States comes in but uh, we're not going to bore you any, anymore we're going to get to the interview and we'll be right back on Conspiranormal hey and we are back on Conspiranormal it's your host Adam Sane of course your co-host again Luke Reed alright well tonight we have on the line uh, Adam Go Rightly. I'm a big fan of his books. And uh, Adam, how you doing tonight? Uh, great. Thanks for uh, having me on. Hey, we're we're very privileged to have you on. Um, uh, just uh, for our audience that maybe not, don't know you, could you kind of uh, tell everyone who you are, and uh, we'll kind of go from there. Well, I'm the. Uh kind of a renaissance man of the lunatic fringe. I've written uh, half a dozen books. Uh, most uh, well known is the uh, Shadow Over Santa Susanna on the uh, Manson family saga, as well as my book, The Prankster and the Conspiracy, uh, The Prankster and the Conspiracy, the book about uh, Carrie Thornley, um, as well as my latest book, Happy Trails to High Weirdness. So there's about half a dozen uh, books. I also had a podcast that kind of had a uh, cult following uh, 
and people still talk about it the bit the untamed dimensions that went from 2006 to 2008 i did that for a uh, couple of years um i've also uh make the uh convention conference uh scene i spoke at ufo conferences so i have an interest in the paranormal and conspiracies i really started uh cut my teeth uh writing for zines back in the day in the early uh 90s i'm also a uh musician and a uh filmmaker gotten into that a little bit here in uh the last uh couple years so i'm kind of all over the uh map have a couple of uh, websites i have a blog uh which is uh untamed dimensions where i post uh uh some oddities i have a uh Devil Girl of the Month and a uh, Crazy Bongo Broad of the Week and uh, Kooky Christian album covers. So uh, <laughs> I uh, have a lot of eclectic interests. Oh, yes, that, then that is for sure. Uh, could you kind of describe your book, um, Happy Trails to High Weirdness? That's your latest. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is a... Um, Kind of a, uh, well, the subtitle is A Conspiracy Theorist Tour Guide. And it's kind of my take on traveling across the country, uh, visiting some of the historic uh, stranger sites connected to paranormal and ufology, like uh, Roswell, for instance, or uh, Giant Rock and the Integratron, and uh, going to... uh, different uh, conspiracy conferences and UFO conferences and writing kind of a behind-the-scenes behind take of a lot of those conferences told in a freewheeling uh, manner and uh, kind of all uh, Hunter S. Thompson in a sense. And uh, also I recount a lot of uh, some of the strange experiences I've had over the years, psychedelic UFO encounters and uh, Encounters with uh, Go Rightly Doppelgangers. So that, in a nutshell, is the book. It's Happy Trails to High Weirdness, a Conspiracy Theorist Tour Guide. Available now from Amazon.com. <laughs> There's a little plug there, huh? Yeah. Uh, we, uh, one of the parts that I found interesting, um, and I actually uh, watched a documentary about this person uh, shortly after I read that book, uh, was a Mr. Jeff Turner and some mm-hmm. of his, his interesting ideas. <laughs> uh, indeed, interesting. I first caught wind of Jeff Turner. It's been a few years ago now, and of course I write it, about it in the uh, book. I was part of a, uh internet forum that uh, dealt with, it was one of the Yahoo groups that dealt with uh, Texas psychedelic music from the back back in the day, you know, Rocky Erickson and the 13th Floor Elevators. And uh, anyway, there was a fellow posting to that forum by the name of Douglas Hawes, who uh, said he, uh, in one of his posts, he said he had a uh, contact who had information about Tuesday Weld being a Illuminati high priestess and... Uh, how she uh, really heavily influenced the 60s counterculture. And I read that and I go, wow, that's some mind-blowing uh, stuff. I don't know if you guys are that familiar with uh, Tuesday Welds. She was a 60s uh, screen uh, starlet. I'm really and, not too familiar with her. Yeah. I'm really not until <laughs> like 
quite recently, really. Yeah, no yeah. clue. <laughs> and it's, well, it's kind of started a meme, I think. And, yeah. And, uh, but, uh, so I contacted this fellow, Douglas Hawes, and uh, we started a correspondence, and I said, yeah, this uh, fellow, your source, whoever he is, has some interesting uh, theories. I'd like to meet up with you guys. So I went and met up with them in uh, Santa Cruz, and this mysterious uh, source was uh, Jeffrey Turner. Who, uh, And when I met, met the fellows back at that time, they told me about this documentary that was being made about Jeff and uh, Jeff Turner, and uh, they made it sound like it was exclusively about Jeff, but it was really the focus of the film was on Jeff and this other uh, person that were uh, big fans of the uh, singer Tiffany. You could call them uh, stalkers almost. And uh, Big fans is kind of an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so that is what the... Uh, uh, the film is about I Think We're Alone Now, which is pretty damn interesting. Yeah. In the first cut of the film, I actually appeared for a few seconds, but I've seen the uh, version that uh, re- was released, and I I got cut from it. But uh, the scene I was in was when I first met uh, Jeff Turner. We were in a uh, coffee shop in Santa Cruz, and he was blowing my mind. So anyway, uh, he has these... Uh, Theories. One of them, you know, that Tuesday Weld uh, oversaw the uh, uh, '60s counterculture as head of the Illuminati and directed the actions of uh, a lot of the major groups of the period. And behind the uh, scenes, she was dictating world events. Uh, in the '80s, uh, mid to late '80s, came this uh, singer Tiffany. So, if you think of uh, Tuesday Weld, and she's kind of uh, a bad witch. She's involved with the Process Church of the uh, Final Judgment, who are connected to the Manson family, at least according to uh, Jeffrey Turner. Uh, Tuesday Weld was kind of uh, a bad witch, brought psychedelics into uh, the scene, and uh, you know, basically uh, behind a lot of these uh, the MK Ultra and these things that were going on during that period. So if you think of uh, Tuesday with kind of evil intent. Tiffany is a good witch, uh, Jeff believes, and that she's uh, came to battle uh, the likes of uh, Tuesday Weldon. Uh, that Tiffany, and this is the popular singer from the 80s, is a, uh, the leader of something called the All Worlds Movement, the All Nations Movement, excuse me. And that uh, she's trying to bring harmony into the world. She's also a Sufi uh, master and a uh, interdimensional time traveler. That's uh, <laughs> Tiffany's. So uh, Jeff Turner has all these things going on. You know what's weird? When I first started writing about the Tuesday Weld stuff, I started hearing from other people independent of Jeff Turner, and they had weird stories about. Uh, Tuesday Weld, yes, she had been involved in some type of cult or another source. She had been a mind control victim. Uh, and then even recently, uh, Ken Thomas of Steam Shovel Press was viewing a bunch of old Route 66 uh, shows and saw a bunch of conspiratorial symbolism. And Tuesday Weld ended up showing up in one of those episodes, a very odd episode that uh, once again has a lot of this weird symbolism uh, connected to it so anyway that's Jeff Turner a very fascinating character I 
mentioned earlier, I'm involved in uh, film production. Um, I've been working with a uh, Australian director by the name of Sam Filder, and we're kind of doing a version of Happy Trails to High Weirdness. The film is called Parafornia, and one of the people we interview in the film is uh, Jeff Turner. Isn't he obsessed with Alyssa Milano now? Uh, he is, but uh, actually he got busted uh, stalking her uh, yeah. about a year or two ago. Originally he was uh, talking up Alyssa Milano, but I think uh, she rebuked him. Now she's on his uh, evil uh, list. <laughs> she's a, she's a uh, Illuminati priestess? Uh, something, yeah. So he's... <laughs> She she turned on him. Well, one thing about him, he he does have um, uh, was Asperger syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I uh, interviewed those guys on my podcast too. You can go back. Oh wow! And listen to some of the archives if you go to my uh, blog, which is uh, gorightly.wordpress.com, and go on the uh, right side and look for uh, audio archives and you can get into it and there's like a uh, three-part series I did with uh, uh, Turner and uh, Haas called The uh, Secret History of the Summer of Love some mind-blowing uh, radio, internet radio uh, there I'd like to ask you too about another um, interesting person of the past and um uh, Carrie, Carrie Thornley. Uh, yeah. He, he has a very interesting uh, path. And uh, just, uh, I, I believe that he was, uh, he lived in Atlanta for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. I, used to, I used to live down there myself. And I think I, I, I may have uh, um, actually have, I don't know if it was when he was still alive, but I may have actually have uh, been in that bookstore that he used to work at. You kind of tell everybody about Carrie Thornley and who he was and just kind of the the interesting history there. Yeah, he, uh, towards the, uh, well, he spent a lot of time in Atlanta in uh, the last uh, couple decades he was there. Certainly the last decade he was kind of primarily there in little five points. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. And he lived, yeah, in Acapella Bookstore. Yes. In, in the uh, <laughs> back. I'm and familiar I actually, with it. I actually have some photos. He had a little space in the back, which I now believe is some, there's a restaurant back there now. But he had a little space in the back when he uh, worked worked at the bookstore. But, uh, man, I, I should say that, you know, I wrote the book about uh, Carrie, the prankster and the conspiracy, back uh, 2003 it would, was published. And since then, I've been the uh, receiver <laughs> of uh, a lot more uh, Carrie Thornley materials and mater- materials uh, related to Discordianism and the founder of Discordianism, Greg Hill. So there's going to be a lot more projects related to Carrie Thornley and the Discordian Society coming out here in the near future. And recently I was out uh, in Atlanta at DragonCon given a little uh, talk about the history of Discordianism, so that'll be one of the uh, projects. But uh, Carrie Thornley, I'll try to give you the uh, thumbnail sketch. Yeah, there's a lot, yeah. <laughs> five or ten minutes. Uh, he was born in uh, 
Los Angeles in the uh, late 30s, 1938. And uh, in, uh, he, he was a uh, odd kid with odd interests. And uh, somewhere along the lane, uh, way in high school, he met up with Greg Hill, who also had uh, shared interests. And, in, uh, you know, they were into Mad Magazine, these type of things. They also went out and they were uh, went to visit a saucer cult out there in the desert called Understanding Dan- Daniel Fry's Cult. So they had these odd interests. And uh, somewhere along the uh, way, they uh, discovered or uh, uh, created or or there was a revelation where they be uh, they started a religion called Discordianism, which is the uh, worship of the Greek god of chaos and discord, Eris. So that was in the uh, late fifties, uh, and they had this revelation in a bowling alley of all places. Right. Um, af- after that, so shift a little bit here. Um, Carrie w- was in, in high school. There is in the Marine Corps Reserve. So when he got out of uh, high school, he wanted to travel and uh, see the world. He was a budding writer, so he figured the best way to do that was to go into the service. So he uh, basically fulfilled his uh, service, rest of his service with the Marines for the next couple of years. And his first stop there was at El Toro Marine Base, where he met none other than uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. This was in 19... uh, 59, the fall of 59, I think, if I have the timeline, timeline correct. And uh, he and Oswald knew each other for like a uh, three-month uh, period, and they had a lot of in-depth conversations. That I wouldn't necessarily call them close friends, but they developed a kind of rapport, and they would talk about politics and philosophy and whatnot, uh, religion, and uh, so after that uh, three-month period, carried over to Higashiyuki, uh, Japan, and an air base there where Oswald had previously been uh, stationed. Trip over during period in the uh, boat Idol Warriors, which was kind of about a book about the melees of the uh, Cold Warrior during that. Uh, period how uh, most people who got involved in the military then were really unsure about, unclear about what they were doing. There was a general malaise and sense of rebellion. So Kerry started writing about these different characters he knew in the uh, Marines and developed it into kind of a, uh, took a, made it a composite of different people he knew and developed this character for this novel by the name of Johnny Shelburne. Johnny Shilburn. And so he got over to Japan and was working on this uh, book. And during the uh, period he was over there, Oswald defected. And at that point, Oswald became the main character in this book, The Idol Warriors. So that was uh, one of the first curiosities about Thornley, that he was writing a book about Oswald good three years before the Kennedy assassination. So uh, Kerry got out of the uh, Marines, went back to California for a while, hooked up there with Greg Hill, and they, uh, the guys were out. Uh, the, the story was uh, they were at uh, 
Carrie's parents uh, place one night, and they were, you know, goofing around, making noise, and their parents to shut up, so they split there, and they went over to Greg's house and got the same reception from his parents, so they said, oh, let's go out on the streets of Whittier, California, and uh, we can, can't possibly bother anybody there. Uh, sure enough, the cops pulled them over for uh, whatever. They weren't uh, <laughs> really uh, clear. They picked them up on vagrancy, and they said, but we live here, and uh, the cops said, it don't matter, you guys are making a general nuisance of yourself. So uh, Greg and Carrie talked, and they said, let's uh, go someplace where <laughs> we're not going to get hassled. And they decided the New Orleans French Quarter was the place to go. So they did. They moved there together in uh, uh, it was 1961, uh, just uh, right before Mardi Gras. So it was around February or early March of 61. Boy, I was going to try to make this a ten-minute uh, thumbnail <laughs> sketch, but uh, yeah, you kind of cut. We'll just keep going here. So, <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So uh, in New Orleans, there uh, Thornley uh, met. Uh, you know, he was in a, he was a budding uh, writer, so he wanted to uh, meet with some of the colorful characters, and met with a couple of guys there by the name of. Uh, Slim Brooks and Gary Kirsten. And these guys claimed they had intelligence agency contacts and uh, knew the mafia underground and were involved in a lot of different stuff. And so Kerry uh, started having discussions with these guys, much like he had with Oswald back in the day, religion, politics, philosophy. And out of these uh, discussions... Uh, came uh, a theoretical discussion he had with these guys about uh, how would you go about killing a president, and in particular, John F. Kennedy. Kerry at the time thought, you know, this was kind of a morbid intellectual uh, exercise, a theoretical discussion. But uh, later, insert creepy work in music, the, the, these words would come back to haunt him. So... Uh, after uh, a lot went on there in New Orleans, including the uh, Kennedy assassination when they picked up Oswald, and uh, Thornley uh, moved uh, at one point to Arlington, Virginia, when they were having the Warren Commission hearings because he thought uh, that would be a good opportunity to him uh, to appear before the uh, Warren Commission, uh, talk about Oswald and promote this book he was working on, The Idle Warriors, based on Oswald. So all of this craziness was uh, going on, and in 65, he actually wrote the first book on related to the Kennedy assassination called Oswald. It was a pretty uh, slim volume and kind of took the uh, Warren Commission approach, because uh, that's all Kerry had really been exposed to, that uh, somehow Oswald had been influenced to be a assassin because of communist sympathies. So moving along here, uh, Kerry uh, moved out to California, got involved, and he was involved, had his hands in all kinds of stuff. He was a libertarian. Uh, he wrote for, he was the editor of uh, one of the first uh, really best libertarian uh, magazines back then. He got involved in the counterculture, drops psychedelics, and started uh, uh, forming 
as a kind of outlook in uh, politics and religious beliefs and fuse them together with the combination of Zen Buddhism and he's also a libertarian, anarcho-libertarian, so he came up with Zenarchy, which was later published in a book by Illuminate Press there out of Atlanta in the early 90s. So along the, during the same period, uh, around 67, Jim Garrison began his investigation, and he fingered Kerry Thornley as one of the culprits in the assassination and actually indicted uh, Kerry Thornley. So, uh, and even though his uh, you don't see his character in, in uh, Oliver Stone's JFK, uh, uh, you know, he was one of the main people that Garrison was going uh, after during that period, which kind of screwed up Kerry's mind to a certain extent. And uh, uh, eventually, uh, Garrison's investigation. Uh, ran out of steam. Uh, Garrison claimed the CIA had been involved in other people who had undermined the whole, the whole thing. Uh, but afterwards, in the years to follow, uh, you know, uh, during the period Garrison was investigating Kerry, Kerry denied these charges that uh, people had seen Kerry with Oswald in New Orleans uh, during the period Kerry lived there, and that Oswald was one of these notorious uh, doubles, and that Kerry had written the books uh, Idle Warriors and Oswald basically to set up uh, Oswald be before the fact to uh, paint him as a commie sympathizer. As the mid-70s came around, uh, uh, Kerry started, uh, he started having uh, memories about uh, what had gone on in New Orleans and he began to suspect that he had been uh, manipulated there. Remember the conversations he had with Slim Brooks and Gary Kirsten about uh, assassinating the president. He believed these guys were somehow involved in the Kennedy assassination and that he and Oswald both had carried both Kerry and Oswald had been manipulated and perhaps MKUltra victims, mind controlled. And uh, as time progressed, uh, some people suggest Kerry went off the deep end and started confabulating even crazier theories that he had been a Nazi genetic breeding experiment. His parents had been spies that uh, sold him to the Nazi and the Nazis and that he and Oswald were sort of twins that were bred by this Nazi apparatus to be eventual assassins all <laughs> tied in with the uh, Kennedy assassination. So I think I took about uh, five or ten minutes to give you a little idea of who Kerry Thornley was. And oh, I didn't really even get into Discordianism too much. Yeah, that's absolutely no problem um, because it is an interesting uh, it, it is an interesting topic. Uh, do you think that he was possibly uh, an MK Ultra subject, or do you think that I that think... might have just been in his mind? No. Oh, I think um, quite possibly he could have been. A lot of things seem to um, point to that. Uh, I, I think it's quite possible if he was, that's kind of what uh, drove him off the deep end and uh, had him, you know, he started confabulating a bit as he pro pro progressed over time. But it's interesting to note that there's a few things. Um, Kerry believed... Uh, later began to suspect that his uh, CIA handler or JFK station handler there in New 
Orleans was a guy I mentioned by the name of Gary Kirsten, who Kerry Car- later came to dis- uh, suspect was E. Howard Hunt, who was a legendary CIA spook, also involved in the Watergate burglaries and the uh, pigs. Uh, Hunt, it should be noted, also spent time at Atsugi Air Base, where both Oswald and Thornley, you know, were at uh, during that uh, period in the late 50s, early 60s. And as it turns out, Atsugi, this was revealed uh, years later in a piece of Rolling Stones that talked about uh, bases where the CIA had MKUltra operations going on, where they were dosing people with LSD soldiers and whatnot. And one of those uh, installations was Atsugi Air Base, where both Oswald Hmm. and Thornley were. Uh, Thornley, if you look into his history, had kind of a freak out there when he was in Japan that uh, sounds like it was a bit of an LSD uh, freak out. And so there's a lot of other... A lot of other things I could bring up, uh, incidents as well, that seems to uh, point that uh, perhaps naval intelligence uh, was involved in that uh, Oswald as well as Thornley were uh, MK Ultra victims and that Thornley was manipulated in uh, New Orleans. There was a lot of uh, synchronicities or propinquities, as uh, Garrison called it, where where Thornley seemed to be in the, uh, a place, you know, at the same time that uh, shenanigans were going on related to the uh, Kennedy assassination. Thornley always denied it, you know, like, uh, for instance, uh, he went on a trip uh, to Mexico, to uh, Texas, uh, during a period where Oswald had actually come to New Orleans, but there was these Oswald sightings and. T- in Texas and uh, Mexico during the same period. So um, Garrison suspected that uh, Thornley was one of these Oswald doubles. So I think Thornley could have been manipulated the same way Oswald was, you know, uh, get him a job at the Texas School Book Depository and put him at the scene of the crime at the right time and uh, basically set him up to be a patsy and... um, Thornley uh, suspected that he, they had uh, kind of uh, manipulated him, or they were setting up that be him to be a like a fallback uh, patsy if the uh, setup for Oswald somehow went awry. Sure, or or just one of them, because it, it seems interesting mm-hmm. that these two guys yeah. meet in Japan, and then they end up in New Orleans at the same time. And yeah, Oswald is already kind of being ship dipped as a communist by that point. So that that is very interesting. Oh yeah, well Oswald, yeah, Oswald was playing the uh, role there, part of the Guy Bannister's organization. Right. Yeah. And uh, if you've seen the seen the film JFK, it goes into oh, all many these times. Uh, characters. <laughs> okay, so yeah, he was Oswald was basically posing as. A, a communist to infiltrate organiz- commie organizations, or so he thought. I, that while it, in reality is probably being set up by the likes of uh, Bannister and Ferry and those guys. Have, have you ever seen that movie, Luke? No. JFK. Mm-mm. I have to download it. That's a good one. Well, I have it. Uh, 
Anything you want to ask, Luke, before I go on? Um, are are you familiar with the process for mind control, or have you? Hello. Hey, we got hey. cut off. <laughs> Evidently, <laughs> must have said the wrong thing. It, it was it, it was the CIA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they always do that, guys. I know. Let's cut your Skype off right in the middle of the conversation. Uh, well, Luke, you were asking a question before we got cut off. So. Yeah, I was just gonna see if, uh, uh, like, what you knew about the process of mind control, and if you uh, if you could just walk me through it. You know. Oh boy! I mean, I know what I've read th- uh, from the, the uh, basic mind control literature, and uh, for instance, with the so-called Manchurian uh, candidates uh, or different mind control uh, victims, uh, yeah, what that- they do, what they do is uh, the uh, mind controller. <laughs> They uh, introduce a, some sort of a uh, trauma to the victim, and uh, as the legends go, if you believe a lot of this uh, monarch mind control stories and whatnot, they start at a very young age and induce uh, trauma, and the uh, natural reactions uh, for humans are to kind of crawl into a shell, and they'll adopt different personalities than uh, these personalities later they can be uh, split into these uh, programmed to be different uh, personalities. One, you know, as a uh, maybe as a cold-blooded killer, another to be a uh, sex slave. So induced uh, trauma is a uh, big part of the uh, programming, and uh, you know, different uh, as far as the MK Ultra. Program they uh, messed around with a lot of uh, drugs. One would think that, uh, for instance, LSD would be the anti <laughs> mind control uh, drug because it uh, totally makes you uncontrollable. But I could see uh, LSD being used. You know, if you look at uh, set and setting, if you're in a good set and setting, LSD can bring about some very positive uh, results. If you uh, intentionally take somebody down a bad trip uh, rabbit hole, and that could cause some uh, major uh, trauma as well. So uh, anyway, the CIA used a whole host of different uh, drugs, and uh, they never claimed they found anything that was the total drug that uh, could uh, control minds, but uh, other people argue that that wasn't the uh, case. There's a researcher by the name of John Judge who claimed that the uh, Manson family were a uh, basically a mind-controlled outfit and that they were given the military brand of acid, <laughs> whatever that is. He had, he had a, uh, the actual chemical name for it. I can't tell you what it is off the uh, top of my head and that that was the same acid, that uh, the military acid that was given to uh, David Berkowitz and that he was also... Uh, Mind controlled. So, anyway, that's uh, a partial answer to your uh, question. Wow. So, uh, you think that today it's more psychologically based rather than uh, drug induced based? 
Oh, I think, uh, well, I don't know anything for sure, you know, <laughs> Right. <laughs> to tell you, but, just uh, asking your opinion on it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, as well, there's the, uh, microwave harassment, uh, and uh, that type of electronic, uh, mind control that, uh, it's, you know, it's proven that you can be, beam voices into people's head and a lot of yeah. people are, uh, recounting these experiences i had some weird stuff happen not voices in my head per se but it, there was a few times where i was sitting in a uh, particular uh, place where I, my uh, i felt like my body temperature went uh, j- just off the uh, meter and my face turned all red and there were people there at the time saying what the heck's going on and this happened uh, like half a dozen occasions and it happened when I was sitting in one or two uh, exact locations where somebody could have (laughs) beamed something uh, through a window Uh, and uh, who knows uh, that was during the period I was writing the Manson book getting into a lot of this uh, weird territory or it could have been who knows something I ate or who can say for sure it was pretty uh, Pretty odd, uh, odd experience, though, and uh, you know that's where paranoia comes in. Is paranoia a higher form of awareness? Uh, I've, uh, like, for instance, uh, interviewing Robert Anton Wilson and some folks that knew uh, Carrie Thornley. It was kind of odd uh, that uh, anytime I talked to any of these folks, it was pretty obvious that their phones were tapped, right. and there's that kind of surveillance. Goes on. I'm getting away from the mind control bit, but uh, with uh, Robert Anton Wilson, it was uh, pretty damn obvious uh, for the uh, prankster and the uh, conspiracy. I went with my friend Greg Bishop and interviewed him there at uh, back in I think it was 2000. It was a place in Santa Cruz, uh, California, and we uh, Greg uh, taped him for me at that time. And so we get back later, and I'm working on the book, and I say, hey, Greg, you got that uh, tape for me? He said, yeah, I just need to uh, edit it or do something, transfer it uh, to cassette, and I'll I'll get it to you in a a week or two. And so a couple months pass, and I go, Greg, uh, what's the deal? Are you going to send me that tape? And he said, "Uh, yeah, I did. I sent it about a month ago. And I go, oh, shoot, man, I haven't... uh, seen it. I hope it didn't get uh, lost somewhere. And so six months passed, at least six months. And one day I got the envelope, <laughs> the tape from uh, Greg of the Robert Anton Wilson interview. And it, it was obvious that somebody had opened it up and examined the tape and sealed it back up and sent it. But, you know, they waited several months. So there's those kind of uh, obvious hints sometimes where, you know, Folks will let you know they're monitoring your activities. Wow, uh, it doesn't it doesn't um, it wouldn't shock me at all. Uh, yeah, we yeah. did we we did a whole um, show a couple of months ago about the uh, Batman shooter, the uh, the Dark mm. Knight um, yeah. returns, and um, the it seems to me that there's a lot of it just seems really like really that that guy is pretty mind controlled to me. I don't know. <laughs> well, with, you with the mention of the second person there that uh, the media ignored, and 
Yeah. There's a lot of things that kind of point that direction from the JFK and Oklahoma City bombings. That whole story's fallen off the radar recently, and I haven't heard anything else about it. Yeah, and I guess he had DARPA connections. He was doing yeah. some type of uh, research, and there was a... The neuroscience. And when they had... Yeah, exactly. There was the uh, court appearance where some strange lady in a red dress or something showed up and made some uh, comments. Did you hear that little bit? And uh, I I haven't really looked into the case that uh, deeply, but I plan to <laughs> perhaps at uh, some point. That reminds uh, me of the Sirhan Sirhan, the, the polka dot dress. Yeah, that's what a lot of people... Uh, brought up and uh, I forget she made some uh, cryptic uh, comment this gal in the uh, courtroom that seemed to point uh, towards mind control or something odd going on I forget exactly what she said but uh, and it was it was odd I was in uh, Colorado I was in where was I at I was in uh, Boulder Colorado when I uh, remember firing up the internet that morning, it was like uh, the shooting in Colorado. I go, oh my god! Here I am in Colorado, and this is going down. Yeah, you know, I, I wasn't too far. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about too uh, about uh, that you mentioned in uh, both of the books that I've read, the Happy Trails and um, and the in your in the Beast of. Uh, about uh, Jack Parsons and his uh, association with the Babylon working and with UFOs. Uh, just would love to go into some of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you're reading my books. That's nice <laughs> to hear. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that's some stuff I've been looking into for uh, quite a while because I had I've talked about my own. Uh, UFO experience uh, quite a bit that I had with a friend under the influence of uh, certain uh, psychedelics and prior to that uh, experience we kind of we joked to ourselves what if we saw a UFO nobody'd believe us and then we started laughing our asses off then afterwards we saw a bunch of UFOs and we were under uh, the influence of psychedelics but we were seeing the same things and recounting them to each other in the experience uh it seemed almost to the point where we we're interacting with some type of energy we were help creating the experience and as i look back on it over the years i i began to suspect that uh, we planted the seed by saying you know what if we saw some ufos and we saw the ufos it was like an unwitting uh, magic ritual and uh, all that kind of got me interested. I think Robert Anton Wilson initially turned me on to uh, Crowley and his Lom uh, encounters around the uh, turn of the century, century before this century, yeah, where it looks like a little gray alien. Yeah, and uh, how it looked. Uh, yeah, a lot like uh, the critter on uh, Whitley Strieber's Communion. Yes. And that he had used these Enochian rituals to summon this uh, entity. And so Jack Parson comes along, and uh, Jack Parsons was a famous rocket scientist. Really not famous in uh, 
the world of uh, aeronautics, aviation. I have a lot of people who are like real rocket scientists. I know a couple people, and you bring up the name Jack Parsons. He's kind of lost. That uh, they don't know him. They pretend. Not, I don't know what the deal is, but he came up with the solid fuel rockets. Uh, one of the inventors that uh, you know was later the propulsion system that jettisoned man to the moon, and. Uh, Helped found uh, the Jet Propulsion Laboratories in uh, Los Angeles, uh, <clears throat> and so he was also a ritual magician, and basically became Alistair Crowley's ambassador here in the States. Uh, this was during the uh, late uh, 40s, 50s that uh, Parsons was uh, active, and uh, he... Uh, started doing his own magical rituals along with none other than L. Ron Hubbard, the future founder of Scientology, and his uh, future wife, Cameron Parsons. And they invoked uh, certain entities. Uh, as the story goes, uh, there's different uh, stories you hear out there, but they invoked some otherworldly entities out in the uh, California desert, which later became the uh, hotbed in the early days of uh, UFOs and uh, certain theorists have uh, suggested that uh, Parsons and Hubbard and Cameron were able to open the same portal uh, that Aleister Crowley opened that brought in Lom, and they basically Parsons and his bunch ushered in the new era of uh, the new age of UFOs or the modern age of UFOs as they're called. Uh, their riddles. Uh, Parsons and Hubbard and Cameron uh, happened in uh, 1946, and the modern age of UFOs started in 47 with Kenneth Arnold sightings over Mount Rainier in Washington State. That's where the term uh, flying saucers came from, and also Roswell. Whatever happened there happened in uh, 47, and that seemed to launch the whole uh, phenomenon. So that, that was, that's kind of uh, where my initial interest in all of this uh, started, and I've uh, did different presentations at UFO uh, conferences on this uh, theme with a lecture I had called the uh, Early UFO Contactees, Ritual Magicians. And when I looked at those early UFO contactees, it seemed to be a common theme a lot of times before they had these experiences, they went into uh, trance states by whatever means. So, like, that was the way of invoking these entities, whatever they are. Who's to say they're extraterrestrial? People like to throw around uh, terms uh, interdimensional or the crypto-terrestrials. Maybe they actually live here on Earth and are all around us, but we only can see them when we tap into a certain... Uh, mind frame, a certain realm of consciousness that can open up those windows, much like the experience I think uh, that I had under the influence of psychedelics that I was able to tap into that and uh, peek behind the veil for however short a period it was. So you, you would feel that kind of like the jury is still out on what exactly that phenomenon is, <clears throat> that it's it may or that it may be some kind of like more like an ultra terrestrial kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the theory that makes the most uh, sense to me. That and that we're involved 
in that uh, process, the experiencer is part of the experience, I think, uh, as well. Not to discount the other theories that, uh, you know, I don't discount that actual, actual ETs have been here or they, <laughs> there's all kinds of theories out there. That's the one that makes the most uh, sense to me, though. Yeah, I'll have to agree with you there. Uh, assuming that aliens would be on a higher state of consciousness, it only makes sense that you would have to be uh, closer to the same level to be able to experience them. Yeah, and people, there's all kinds of stories, you know, I was talking about ritual magic and trance states, but also people who've taken psychedelics and uh, seen things, probably aware of Terrence McKenna and comedian Bill Hicks had some pretty profound uh, experiences on mushrooms. Uh, The list goes on and on. Timothy Leary, you know, um, it's interesting that uh, Robert Anton Wilson, Timothy Leary... Philip K. Dick were all having these, uh, and uh, John Lilly, too, all around the same period, and they had ex- all experimented with the hallucinogens of one kind or another, and during that same period, 72, 73, were all having uh, experiences with uh, the other, uh, who they perceived initially you know, to be uh, extraterrestrials. Um. I believe it was John Lilly that uh, was the one that uh, uh, his experiences were the basis for uh, altered states. Yeah, altered that's, states. yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that was a, an extremely interesting story for me because I, I had no idea that you know I'd seen altered states for a long time, uh, seen it many times, and I had no idea that that was actually based on a true story. Could you yeah. kind of go into uh, about what that was about? It's kind of similar to the to the Philip K. Dick story as well well i'd say first of all about the movie altered states it's been a while since i saw it but uh it was the the character there uh did he go into an isolation tank and then he yes. came out and yeah, he, was... he had a couple of different kinds he had the, <laughs> uh, the vertical like liquid isolation well they're all liquid but the vertical yeah. one first and then uh he got into the the closed uh no no window one yeah. Second time. Just as an aside, Luke's brother, who we've had on this show, has done a lot of uh, those kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He uh, he kind of frightened himself to a point of, uh, uh, you know, maybe I'm taking this on a little bit too fast. Maybe I should slow down. You know. <laughs> yeah, I I did ice the uh, flotation tanks. Actually, what it's uh, I guess referred to, and a pretty profound uh, experience. I got a lot out of it. Uh, the you guys still with me there? Oh yeah, we're here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the the film he turns into some type of ape man or something yeah. running, <laughs> running him up, and that was kind of based on uh, Lily's partner who had an experience where he perceived himself going back in time, and you know it was one of those self realization uh, type things, seeing the history of mankind and him going back into an ape. So they took that from the movie and ran with it. But, uh, with, uh, Lily's encounters, you know, it's much like, uh, like I said, Leary and, uh, all these guys back then, uh, Robert Anton Wilson around the same period, uh, they started having, uh, communications with, uh, who they perceived to be extraterrestrials, uh, 
uh, Lilly uh, brought about his experience by the use of uh, ketamine, the drug ketamine. And uh, I've uh, written about this a bit, I think, in the uh, Beast of Adam uh, Go Rightly. And he thought, you know, during one time uh, that uh, Earth had hit a, hit in a critical uh, juncture and that we needed to, uh, he's trying to <laughs> contact politicians and all this, that uh, uh, ecological doom was at uh, hand. And uh, his message, Lily's at that time, was much like the uh, UFO contactees from back in the 50s and uh, 60s during the uh, Cold War period. That's, that's the message, same messages they were getting from the uh, extraterrestrials. So, yeah, Lily was uh, among a bunch of uh, psychedelicized folks who were uh, having these extraterrestrial communications uh, during that uh, period. And Philip K. Dick also. I know that yeah. the, um, uh, what was it, that he had uh, thought that he was in, in communication with a giant's computer or some kind of software or something that was beaming to him? Well, it took uh, different forms, but at one time or another, uh, and in his book, Valis, he says uh, the uh, star system behind that was the Sirius star system and the entities from Sirius. At the same time he was receiving his communications, uh, Robert Anton Wilson uh, was delving into Enochian magic, you know, much like uh, Parsons and uh, Crowley had, and uh, at one point uh, came into contact with what he believed at that time were beings from uh, Sir the Sirius star system. Later, Wilson stepped back and thought, oh, well, it could have been my left brain talking to my right brain or this or that, but that was uh, the uniqueness there that they both Dick and uh, Wilson were having these serious communications at the same time, unbeknownst to each other. There was also a uh, science fiction author, Doris Lessing, who was also kind of channeling books about serious at the same time. At the exact same time, Timothy Leary wrote his, uh, was having these, was also, he was in uh, prison, and he'd become part of a, a group that were doing meditations and basically using, uh, you know, their uh, di uh, group of inmates. They had this pent-up sexual energy from, you know, not having contact with their wife, their uh, lovers, spouses, whatnot, and they were using this as a meditation uh, group and uh, through this meditation group they started receiving channeled messages and uh, Leary wrote about that uh, recorded these books and recorded these messages in a book called Starseed Transmissions this is the same period where uh, he and Wilson were doing a lot of work together but uh, when uh, Larry started <laughs> telling Robert Anton Wilson about this. Uh, Wilson kind of held back because he didn't want to uh, interject uh, his serious stuff in there. He wanted to kind of keep see where the where the information went, but uh, and not kind of influence Larry or vice versa. So it was interesting. They all all this energy was going on. I think even uh, you'd have to look at the timeline. Terrence McKenna. And the stuff he was doing with his brother with ayahuasca 
and uh, shrooms uh, was probably in the early 70s too so there's a lot of strange energies out there during that period I looked uh, one thing I did when I was uh, researching all of this I found a website that had uh, peaks of UFO encounters peak years and uh, you know over a a 50 year period there was like half a dozen peaks and one of those peaks was that period of time 1972-73 another peak was when I had my own uh, psychedelic UFO encounter in 1978 some of the other peaks were you guessed it uh, like 46 and 47 when you had that uh, Parsons and Hubbard and the modern age of UFOs and also 1952 when a lot of the uh, UFO contactees like George Adamski had their experiences. So I think there's different things going on. It has to do with uh, peak energy years and being in a certain spot. A lot of the uh, contacts came in places like the uh, California desert. And you guys still there? Yeah, we're here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're here. And uh, kind of rambling all over the place. But, no problem. Yeah. We're just listening. Taking it all in. <laughs> yep. So anyway... Uh, what is Enochian magic? I, I'm maybe Luke. You might know a little more than I do, but what what is what is that? Oh heck! Well, it, it was something that was developed by an Elizabethan magician, Doctor John D. Back uh, in okay. the day, and it's derived somehow from the Bible. There was the Book of Enoch, right, and. Uh, that was related to these uh, book of Enoch related to these fallen angels that came to earth and uh, bed down the earth women and they brought about this race called the Nephilim (laughs) and so it's kind of all related to that a lot of people equate the Nephilim with uh, modern day ETs and this is just my take on all this and so it kind of came out of that uh, and Dr. John D. developed it, and somehow Crowley picked up on it, and whether it was, uh, I don't know, uh, Crowley came up with his own twist on it, who knows, but that's what Crowley used to uh, bring forth law, and we talked about before. And there was other people, like uh, there was a uh, guy named George Hunt Williamson, who was friends with George Adamski, and he was messing around with Enochian magic in uh, 52 or so. And uh, uh, through that, he basically invoked beings from the star system Sirius. So when you start digging into this stuff, you see all these uh, connections that go, that go on and on. Sometimes you think, well, is that perhaps a meme that got started somehow? And it's somehow yeah. <laughs> in, our, in our subconscious. Right. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> It also uh, features its own language, much like the language of the Magi, and used like you know ritualistically to invoke. Isn't it supposed to be a lost book of the Bible as well? Yeah, exactly. So I've heard. Yeah, and and the Gnostics had a hand in in it somehow. I think it might be Uh, older than that, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, and you guys are friends with uh, Guy Malone, right? Yeah, we know him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's (laughs) he was. Let's see what uh, he was kind of a bit of an influence, and I think I was an influence on him. We have different uh, takes, and I'm trying to remember uh, specific uh, 
I'd have to look at my, uh, anyway, disregard that. We had him on the show um, uh, a few months ago. Yeah. So You can clip clip that out. I forgot. Uh, <laughs> had uh, a no, brain feed there. Uh, no problem. No problem. <laughs> We're a very conversational show. So mm-hmm. I, I noticed I was looking through here. Um, uh, one thing that I had kind of forgotten about from reading the book, The Happy Trails, was that you got to sit in on the uh, Bigfoot uh, reveal. The one yeah. that turned out to be a hoax. <laughs> that yeah, that been an experience. It was indeed interesting. Uh, yeah, it. Uh, I, I got the email one day. There was a press release that came out uh, saying they had a uh, somebody had a Bigfoot body or something. I'm not that heavily involved with the Bigfoot uh, scene, but uh, the uh, they're putting on a press conference. Uh, near San Jose, California, which isn't too bloody far from where I'm at. So I was able to uh, finagle a uh, press pass. So I thought, oh, I'll go check this out. Maybe I'll, get, maybe I'll be part of history. And so I uh, showed up there, and it was a uh, huge event. And it probably set back uh, Bigfootology and cryptozoology 20 years, you know. <laughs> Uh, anytime now somebody says they have a Bigfoot or something, they'll go, oh, yeah, I remember that uh, hoax back in 2000 and whenever it was. It's probably about uh, four or five years ago now. Yeah, lose, it was like 2008. Lose, yeah, lose track of time. But uh, So I went and showed up, and they had the press was there uh, big time. Uh, you had CNN and all the major networks from the local area were there, and you, you know, you had a phalanx of about uh, 20 cameras, and they were doing a live, I think they did a live feed from CNN, it was a <laughs> packed house. <laughs> and uh, the uh, circus, this even got stranger and uh, stranger, of course. No, they didn't have the uh, body. They had it uh, secured away somewhere, somewhere, somewhere and uh, Tom Tom Biscardi was the ringmaster there overseeing things, who I've learned has a history in uh, Las Vegas promoting things. And uh, this wasn't his first Bigfoot hoax, as I found out uh, later. But they said they brought some uh, DNA samples of the uh, Bigfoot. And he he also had some of the funky photos, it was like. (laughs) Okay, then he had his, uh, the two uh, guys... uh, Yucksters, hucksters from wherever they were. I forget if it was uh, Georgia. Yeah, Georgia. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, they showed up, and he, he was uh, trumpeting their praises. How these guys are, you know, these guys are the real deal. Blah blah blah. Well, anyway, as we know, all this didn't last very long. The DNA samples didn't really prove much of anything. I don't know how you prove with the DNA sample anyway, since we don't have a, a Bigfoot DNA sample, but the, sam- the sample... <laughs> to compare it to. <laughs> yeah. But the uh, sample had traces of possum in it. And the, these guys claimed that, uh, or Biscardi did, that was because uh, the uh, Bigfoot had ate a possum and it was in his intestinal <laughs> tract. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, it was crazy. And, of course, later it turned out that... <laughs> Oh, and uh, Biscardi at the uh, press conference said, 
Folks, this is the real deal. I touched it, prodded it, smelled it. I seen the body. This is the real deal on and on. Uh, as it uh, turned out later that, you know, those guys from uh, Georgia had got a fake Bigfoot body and stuffed it full with roadkill and whatnot. And that's <laughs> – but Biscardi later said, well, no, it was his assistants that went there and saw it and uh, – so, but uh, he tried to cut. I think he left the country right after that happened. No, he's he's back here. He's still doing Bigfoot uh, stuff, you know. Uh, so he should have drove a stake through his heart. The other two guys, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the other uh, do, one of them was a uh, worked uh, on the police force there in uh, Georgia somewhere, and he shortly after that uh, lost his job due to this whole affair. Yeah, he didn't stick around too long over there. <laughs> Speaking no. of Georgia, that uh, mm-hmm. that job my my memory. Um, uh, I saw that you know you had gone to Dragon Con and that you visited the Georgia Guidestones. <clears throat> and yeah. uh, we actually our picture on the on the if you've seen the podcast website, uh, our picture there is actually Luke looking through one of the astronomical alignment holes. Ah, yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, what are your thoughts on the Georgia Guidestone? Like, what what do you think that they're supposed to be? What they, <laughs> they signify? Well, the guy I went with, uh, uh, he goes on Facebook by the name of Groucho Gandhi, and he's actually the publisher of Fiji Press, who published uh, Happy Trails to High Weirdness, and he's been an aficionado of uh, the Guidestones for many years. He used to go back there way back when, you know, <clears throat> 20 years ago or so before became as popular as it seems to be now. When I yeah. was, when we went, went out there, uh, and he, he's actually written about it. If you go to got, GrouchoGandhi.com, he has a, a piece on the Georgia Guidestones. <clears throat> he wrote uh, a few years ago, it was kind of, I, I was kind of aware of the Guidestones. I knew it was something I'd had to check out, and so he, uh, during the Dragon Con thing, I said, hey, I want to go uh, check out the Guidestones as well, <clears throat> while I was out there in Atlanta, so he took me to uh, wherever the heck that <laughs> is out there in uh, Elberton, Georgia, yeah. There, there you go, that's the name of the uh, town, Atlanta you guys, capital of the south, you guys, yeah, that's, they uh, got it from the granite, uh, Quarry there, and there's whole, the whole mythology about this R.C. Christian, the mysterious guy who uh, uh, left, uh, basically uh, set up a trust fund and uh, funded this. There was a mysterious group out of state, R.C. Christian, which is kind of like a hint to, to, towards Rosicrucianism. Yes. He got this uh, banker who... Uh, basically built this thing. It was over like a 10-year period, wasn't it? The stones? I believe so. I'm not quite sure. Several. Uh, I, know it, I know it was erected in 1980, at least. They, they took several years, and those yeah. are some big, heavy-ass stones and yeah, intricate, big. intricate uh, work detailed on the uh, carving, and they have the astronomical features, which you see in a lot of ancient... Uh, Ruins and the uh, message there. It's like a uh, New World Order feel good message about, except for the part that uh, 
talks about reducing the uh, population. So, so there's right, that right. Uh, sinister aspect uh, to it as well. Pretty unique and uh, interesting uh, sight. <clears throat> also, uh, while we were out there, I contacted uh, the uh, widow, actually, of Ron Bonds of Illuminate Press. I'd been in contact with her for a bunch of years. And Illuminate Press uh, published Carrie Thornley's books. And I remember a year, years ago after Ron Bonds died, uh, kind of a mysterious death. He died around the same uh, year or so after uh, Thornley and uh, his buddy Jim Keith, who he published a bunch of his books. Jim Keith died mysteriously during that uh, same period uh, you might be familiar with Jim Keith's books. They were published by Illuminate, Black Helicopters Over America, and Men in Black books. He was really one of the main dudes on the conspiracy scene late 90s or so. And I had contacted uh, Ron's wife, Nancy, because I knew she had some Carrie Thornley materials and uh, wanted to try to uh, perhaps purchase those from her or something. It was the time I was writing my uh, book. And, uh, of course, she was going through a lot of stuff, you know, during that period. Her husband had just died, so communication fell off. But I thought since I was going out to Atlanta, I'd contact her, and she got back to me. And I said, uh, had a couple things, I questions I needed to ask her. But I asked her about those Carrie Thornley materials, and she said, uh, you can have them as far as I can concerned, you know, let's uh, get together over coffee and we did, and I met up with her, and it was a great meeting. She passed on to me more Carrie Thornley material. I've also been the recipient of uh, the archives of Greg Hill, who was the founder of Discordianism. So, uh, as I was mentioning before, I have tons of uh, material that's probably going to lead to several books here in the next few years about. One I'm working on now is more detailed about Carrie Thornley and the Kennedy assassination, but there will be a history of the Discordian Society and a few other things, uh, facsimiles of like the uh, first edition of the Principia Discordia, which was the Bible of uh, Discordianism. So anyway, that's uh, my uh, travels in Atlanta, in Georgia and uh, some of the projects I'm involved in now. So would you say that you're kind of the kind of the heir to the, all the Discordian knowledge? Because you, you were also really good friends with uh, Robert Anton Wilson, and now you have all the material from all the, from the, 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 the originators of it. Yeah, and well. I, I, I am. That's a correct assessment. I just kind of stumbled into this stuff. If you read my yeah. book, the prankster and the uh, conspiracy. I I didn't really know that much about uh, discordianism when I started that. I was more interested in Carrie Thornley's uh, story, so I was kind of uh, gathering materials and thinking about writing a book. Then in uh, 2000, I got an email from this guy named Bob Newport, and it was odd because the email I received it was at an email address where. Nobody would really know to contact me there except uh, family and maybe a few friends. Uh, nobody involved with uh, 
my alter ego, you know, writing conspiracy work. So it was odd. I got an email there uh, alerting me by from a fellow named Rob uh, Bob Newport, alerting me of Greg Hill's passing. And I think it was July of 2000. Greg Hill, of course, Thornley was the uh, founder of Discordianism. So I thought, well, that's weird. I emailed Newport back and said, uh, well, did you happen to know Kerry Thornley as well? He said, yeah, I went to uh, high school with both of them, and actually I'm the co-founder <laughs> of uh, Discordianism. Now, there's no way <laughs> that I, c- I can figure out how he had that email address. Um, so I, uh, years later, uh, and when I talked to uh, Newport about this, I'd ask him, well, how did you know to email me there? And he, he it's like uh, he didn't really remember at all. And so it was by fate, dumb luck, or the uh, powers of the goddess Eris that uh, that initial contact came with Newport, and that opened up, you know, having interviews with meeting Bob Wilson and all the dis- other Discordian folks. And as it turned out, <coughs> Newport had basically rescued Greg Hill's Discordian archives from being dumped into a, uh, put into a dumpster. And uh, he had plans maybe to do something with them at one point, but uh, he's getting older and he's more into, uh, you know, he's thinking of doing some type of Discordian uh, archives website, but he doesn't have the time. He's more into uh, water uh, painting these days with watercolors. And he said, uh, eventually handing them off to me and that uh, it's just an enormous amount of materials that I'm uh, trying to wrap my uh, head around. Like I said, it will be uh, uh, result to a number of projects which are going to blow the minds of people who are uh, interested in the origins and the early days of uh, the Discordian Society. Very interesting. Very cool. Adam, we are just about out of time, uh, and we didn't even get to talk about the Manson family. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, darn. (laughs) We, we, We need to have you on for another show. Uh, maybe sometime in the next few months just to talk about just the Manson family. Yeah, and uh, also Burning Man. Yeah, Burning mm-hmm. Man. Sure. Jim Keith, too, because we barely touched on that and how his uh, him writing about Danny Casolaro and the octopus conspiracy. And there's just so much to talk about that, like, even an hour or, or, or 15 hours wouldn't even do it justice. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> but uh, we're going to finish out here just having to stay on the line with us and. Uh, well, uh, Luke, uh, we're going to be right back on Conspiranormal. All right, we are back on Conspiranormal. Luke, uh, just briefly, man, what would you think about Adam Gorightly? I think he's pretty awesome, and uh, yeah, he's pretty awesome. <laughs> man, you are a man of many words. Just... <laughs> uh, he's, he's got uh, this kind of California-like... Uh, yeah. Beach, beach guy type thing going on like dude you know yeah I, I like him you know he'd be someone that would be my friend so we'd have to we'd have <laughs> to go out for a beer with the guy if he ever comes by here definitely definitely uh, just so many things that we just even get to talk about like we didn't even hit the manson stuff which is like a big thing that he yeah. talks about right and how that's 
he did touch on it a little briefly, but I'm glad you asked about the mind control stuff. Yeah. Because that's another thing that he talks about. Right. You know, I, I, me and you were talking about that yeah. at one point and, uh, and how it's done and everything. And I just wanted to see, like, what if he knew something that we didn't or... He writes about put on it. He writes about the catcher in the rye, uh, the book being like a trigger, like I was talking about yeah. a few shows ago, and uh, I mean it's just uh, it's just very interesting stuff, and all all the connections, uh, what he brought up tonight about like uh, the UFO flaps and everybody doing drugs happening at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, was that was quite interesting. I never quite thought of it that yeah, way. Yeah, um, I'm kind of taking a shift more toward uh, ethereal aliens versus like physical. Whereas before, I was thinking, you know, that they they came here on some kind of uh, organic ship, you know. But now I'm starting to think that the ship is themselves, and they're they're personally teleporting here. Yeah, more more of like a spiritual slash etheric thing rather than being physical. Well, I found it interesting about the Enochian magic too. Yeah, I I heard a little bit about that from my brother because he used to be really. He still is in Aleister Crowley and all of his work and stuff. They actually talk about that in the show Supernatural uh, to use uh, Enochian magic to summon and banish angels. Yeah, so that's kind of where I'm. And Doctor John D, where I'm a little familiar, uh, semi familiar with that. You know. And like he implied too, like uh, it's a it's a later language. It's this is not something that's ancient, like found on ancient carvings and stuff. Yeah. It's something made way later. But the language of the Magi, however, had been, and that's what Enochian's kind of based off of that, sure. along with like two or three other languages. It's in Aleister Crowley's uh, uh, collaboration of symbols and stuff, yeah. like that, and explaining symbology and all of that. Well, the lamb thing. You've seen a picture of lamb. Uh, I've shown you that before. Uh, looks very much like a little gray alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was something that he said that he saw in a pier- in the uh, Great Pyramid in like 1895 that was communicating to him. Crowley's a little weird. I'm, I don't really, you know, like Crowley too much, but uh, I do. I think it's yeah. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you and Jimmy Page both, man. But uh, I think we're gonna call it because uh, don't want to go too long, too long because uh, Chris is gonna kill us. He's about to pass out. So. Uh, Let's uh, call it a night, man. Anything you want to add or say before we go, Chief Keefe? Uh, I thought about like having an ending segment with like some words of inspiration or something. That'd okay. be nice. Well, <laughs> you can give the words of inspiration. <laughs> Not this time. I ain't ready for well, it. Well, you did get some good news while we were on the we were talking to Adam Garitly, but yeah. we won't we won't go into that. <laughs> oh, why not? Go ahead. But no, no. Just, just everybody, just feel happy for Luke. He gets to he gets to party Slow a little. Clap. He gets to party a little more. Luke's not a daddy. All right, yeah, Luke's not a daddy. <laughs> All right, so uh, that's it, and uh, just uh, come back and join us next time on Conspiranormal. Don't do drugs.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.